When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Talking Out Loud, the number one podcast on the internet for Dayton Flyers basketball, always wearing red and being loud. And welcome back. It's Talking Out Loud, still your number one place on the radio or internet for Dayton Flyers basketball. Good morning, good evening, good night, wherever and however you are joining us. If it's ESPN 1410 Radio in Dayton or on the podcast feed, we welcome you in to the best place for talking Dayton basketball. Flyers get a week off and they're going to be back in action this Saturday night in Chicago, Illinois at the United Center where they still have yet to win. 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. local game against the Wyoming Cowboys. So we have a full hour coming at you tonight. So strap in, buckle in if you're driving a car somewhere. If you're going on that run, settle in. If you're just sitting on your couch, you can definitely settle in. We got an hour of Dayton Flyers basketball talk starting right now. And not the least of which, in the middle of the show, we are doing a little guest appearance from our pal, Brian Burton. Uh, Brian, if you remember or you are a listener of the show to any degree, uh, you'll remember that Brian was a part of our live broadcast at Tim's for the SMU pregame. Uh, Spent 15 years as a college coach. He has been on ESPN as a college analyst. He's on the All Access Network, which he started. Uh, Heat Check College Basketball does a bunch of other things, but most importantly for this podcast, uh, does the color commentary for the Wyoming Cowboys who take the floor against your Flyers this weekend. So we'll have Brian in the middle of the show. Uh, before we get to that, a lot of things to discuss with the week off. And um, since I haven't come out with a show since uh, the last game, uh, it is worth dissecting to some degree. But if you have followed this program for any amount of time, this program meaning talking out loud, you know that we tend tend uh, to to not uh, give the rapid reactions for games like southeastern Louisiana. And the only reason for that is, well, because Dayton should win those games. And I'm not going to spend time dissecting them because they're tune-ups. You know that. You know the drill, people. They're buy games. They're tune-ups. But Dayton did, in fact, uh, win their next buy game. Southeastern Louisiana was the third. Uh, obviously took a good thumping for Virginia Tech on the seventh. And then UNC Asheville 
uh, took the floor on the 10th. Flyers came out victorious, 23-point victory on that one, score 79-56. to um, and you saw, you know, on Saturday, last past Saturday against UNC Asheville, that um, the Flyers are starting to become the version that is going to be most familiar to fans uh, in the near future here. You know, they got the ball down, drawn Holmes a ton. Uh, he had the mismatch pretty much all night. He was 11 for 17 from uh, from two-point range. That resulted in 27 points, five for eight from the line. And, of course, he chipped in 12 rebounds as well. If you're looking down the stat sheet, Tamani Kamara is still just going to be Dayton's most consistent player night in, night out. He had 13 points and 11 boards. Great outing for him. Um, and this this is who Dayton is at this point. Um, you We watched the early season. Things kind of unravel in the Bahamas. And so now that we all have reset expectations, reset that individual game results don't matter as much as maybe they would if... Dayton was sitting with an eight and three record as opposed to a six and five record uh, with those expectations reset. Uh, what I walked into Saturday looking for was just what game plan is Dayton going to go with? And what we saw was actually fairly balanced scoring. Once you get away from Duran Holmes, you saw Mike not taking as many shots, distributing the ball a lot more. He had eight assists to three turnovers, which was a great improvement uh, for Mongolian Mike, uh, our favorite foreigner on the team. But aside from that, you know, Mustafa Amzil chips in 10 points, Blakeney with 11, Kobe Brea with 11 as well. He finally found his stroke going three for five from downtown. This is kind of who Dayton needs to be until they get Malachi Smith back first and then Kobe Elvis afterwards. Um, Malachi Smith out of the boot, walking normally around campus as of this show, uh, uh, December 14th, when they're recording to release to you on the 15th. And so positive developments to begin the show. I think it is reasonable to assume at this juncture, the Flyers are going to get Malachi Smith back long before Kobe Elvis, uh, who went down with a knee injury in the Bahamas. Both of those guys taking their lumps on the same day. So before Smith comes back, let's assume Dayton probably has to play out the non-con and then some. Uh, at the end of the month, they're going to have a two-game set to start A-10 play against Duquesne at home. And then New Year's Eve at Davidson. Um, would love to have Malachi Smith back from what I've heard inside the program. Probably looking a couple more weeks out. So fingers crossed that a best case scenario has him back by conference play. But more than likely, uh, we see him back in January. So until that time, what you're going to get is Mongolian Mike running the point. We've seen that pretty much uh, every game since. And having Kobe Brea back, we've ta talked about it in previous shows, is extremely important for the only reason that for this Dayton offense to work well, work cohesively, they're going to need to spread out the floor. And the way that you spread out the floor to give guys like Tumani and Duran space is having shooters that need to be respected on the perimeter. Talked about a couple weeks ago on uh, the Twitter page. Um, you know, drop me a line any any old time at Sully My Good Name on Twitter is where you can find me, and at Talking Out Loud L O W D on our social pages, Instagram and Twitter. And what we said after the Malachi and Kobe injuries is that aside from the three point shooting, really nothing jumps off the page to you about this Dayton team versus others um, that Anthony Grant has had at this time, or sorry, on his time on campus. So six years in, 
generally what you're going to get is a slow tempo offense. Again, we talked about before that Dayton's never been in the top 200 of tempo. And we say tempo, just how many possessions are you getting per game? Dayton's never been in the top 200 of the country. Generally speaking, they're going to be between 30, or sorry, 63 and 66 possessions if you're a big numbers person. Um, and what Dayton's going to try to do with those long possessions is get assists on made baskets, okay? Dayton is consistently under Anthony Grant in the top 50 or 60 uh, teams in the country that have a high assist rate on their made buckets, so essentially what that means in layman's terms is that Dayton is just good at sharing the ball under Anthony Grant. We have come to expect that year in, year out. One other thing that we've come to expect from Grant, and this kind of is you're going to see the underlying point of why they've struggled. One of the most consistent parts of Anthony Grant being here at Dayton, and you can, you know, you can chalk this up to Josh Cunningham, of course, Obi Toppin after him. And then Duran last year carrying that torch, but you're going to get a high two point percentage. And I mean, percentage of shots made inside the arc for three seasons, Grant's first three seasons, Dayton was either number one or number two in the entire country. In 2021, they were number 16 in the country. And then last year, Dayton 37th. But generally speaking, you're going to have the Flyers shooting 55% or above under Anthony Grant in two point percentage. And this year they're at 52 so a little bit lower, all right? To put a pin in that. The best teams that Anthony Grant has had on campus to date are around 36 to 37% shooting from three-point range. Dayton at 28%. Very obvious that they've been a poor shooting team. It's about eight points below the most efficient offenses that Grant has had. So right there, if you take two or three percent off the two-point percentage and then a full eight percent off the three-point percentage, it's fairly obvious to see why this offense is right now struggling to be in the top 100 in the country. Because when you're slowing it down under an offense like Grant likes to run, it's predicated on getting good shots and being efficient taking those shots. And right now, Dayton is neither finding good shots nor making good shots on a consistent basis. Again, other things that you look at under Anthony Grant's tenure, um, effective that all leads into effective field goal percentage, of course, but the turnover margins. If Dayton's going to be poor to mediocre on offense, which they have been to this point, you need to protect the ball because you're only getting 63 to 65 possessions per game. So one of the most uh, problematic or concerning parts about Grant's tenure uh, in the six years, is that the turnover percentage is generally pretty high, okay? Uh, the D1 average for turning the ball over percentage-wise is about 19%, and in four out of Grant's six years now, it has been higher than 19%, although last year, marginally. So again, you're starting to paint the picture here. If you're not going to be shooting the ball all that effectively, you're going to need to turn the ball over less, which Dayton is not doing. They are currently turning the ball over 21% of the time. And of course, that is two points over the D1 average, as I just outlaid for you. And even more so than that, Dayton is committing unforced errors 11% of the time, D1 average 9%. So with that 2% uptick, okay, I'm really getting you in the numbers here. With the 2% uptick, that's where the differences lie. That's where the margins are, okay? And that is how close margins are between being a winning team, five points or less, 
and being a losing team. And I can tell you that that number, the turnover margin, sorry, the turnover percentage rather, and the unforced error percentage has been poor over the last three seasons. 2021, Dayton was in the bottom 50 in the country in both. Last year, Dayton was in the bottom 100 of the country in both. This year, Dayton back to the bottom 50 in both numbers. So if you're trying to dissect, really get under the hood of like, what is Dayton doing poorly and what are the reasons that they have struggled across the board, you can really nail it down to playing at the slow pace. And I guess that is kind of the overall point. But when you play at the slow pace, having bad shooting numbers and turning the ball over a lot is not going to be great. And that is kind of why Dayton finds himself in a six and five spot right now. I know I don't generally go into the numbers that deep, but that's the reality. So uh, right now, you know, coming up, the good news here on Saturday is that uh, I want to call it a bounce back game, but it's going to be a game to test and see if the Flyers are headed in the right direction, heading for conference play. We have two matchups left to go here in the non-con Wyoming, and then the Flyers come home for uh, a December 20th tilt against Alcorn State. And ostensibly, you could say if Dayton won both of those games, they would be heading in the right direction because all we're really looking for right now is progress and this team becoming the best version of themselves by mid-February. Everything else, individual results, okay, that's all great, but... There is really no logical path right now for Dayton to play themselves back into at-large contention short of not losing a game for the rest of the season. The good news is uh, there's a lot of bad games on the schedule that they should be able to rack up a lot of wins. Stands the reason they're going to go into the non-conference either 7-6 and six or 8-5, and five, or into conference play rather, at 7-6 and six or 8-5. and five. Um, and so a 14 and four in the A10, uh, that puts you at 22 and nine. Again, same spot as last year, but you don't have the strength of wins. Frankly, Dayton has no strong wins right now. They are 0 and three in the quadrant one, 0 and one in quadrant two, and 0 and one in quadrant three. That is the BYU game has now slipped to a quadrant three game. So if you follow that system, Dayton has only won quadrant four games, which basically means they've beaten six teams that all stink, and it don't mean nothing. So Dayton is going to have to rack up lots of wins, but if you're saying to yourself, well, we did it last year, Sully, that's true, but Dayton didn't beat Kansas. Dayton didn't beat Miami. Dayton didn't beat Belmont. Dayton's beaten a whole lot of nothing to this point, and they don't have the strength of resume to fall back on, even despite the three bad losses. So 14-4 14-4 and four might get them to the place where people on ESPN are discussing the bubble. Um, last year, obviously, we've seen crazier things happen. But this year is just not going to be the same because the strength of record um, and the teams that they have beaten just is not there. Even though, technically, Dayton really hasn't lost a bad game. Uh, BYU probably could help them out a little bit more. They have been not so great since they played Dayton. They lost to South Dakota at home, uh, who's who's not good. Let me put it out there for you right now. And then um, they played another game. Sorry, I was looking at... They played a a semi-home game. They played at Vivint Arena in Salt Lake City. That's where the Jazz played. That's where they lost to South Dakota. And then they came home and lost to Utah Valley uh, by 15 before beating Creighton in Las Vegas Uh, this past Saturday night, which was a good win. So you might see a little bit of a Jekyll and Hyde team, but the point being 
BYU should work their way off of that Q3 line, so it won't be such a, a bad loss for Dayton. Q3s are not great. Um, but by and large, what you're looking at right now is five losses in the quad one or two and six wins in the quad four. I've done a lot of numbers. I'm not usually a numbers guy. I think you guys all know this. I'm a big picture dude. But I wanted to get in the numbers for the first segment here tonight because it, it does paint a picture of why Dayton is struggling, why their style of play is not lending itself uh, to you know getting good basketball because when you have these very obvious flaws and and coupled with the style of play, the product that you get is, of course, six and five. So uh, we're hoping for a bounce back. Bounce back. We're praying for a bounce back win, uh, and they will get their game against the Cowboys again Saturday night at seven o'clock local Central Time, eight p.m. Eastern. And to dissect that game on the other side of the break, I have Brian Burton, our friend who's been with us before, gonna do it again, second time around. Uh, this is talking out loud, whether you're on fourteen ten ESPN Radio or on the podcast. Feed. <laughs> And welcome back to Talking Out Loud. This is your boy Sully right here on 1410 ESPN Radio and the podcast feed. Welcome back in. Uh, Flyers game against Wyoming coming up Saturday night at the United Center. And as such, we have to bring on a guest to dissect the team that we will be facing upcoming. Uh, As our promise, week in, week out. And we delivered on that promise again this week, the coach Brian Burton who does the color for the Wyoming men's basketball team is with us today. And if that name sounds familiar to you, I mentioned it at the top of the show, uh, but Brian joined us on our pregame for SMU. So Brian, welcome back to the program. And I appreciate you doing uh, not one, but two preview episodes with us this year. It's been great, man. Yeah. Pleasure to be back. Thanks for having me. And uh, if there was more teams I knew more about, I'd come back more often. Yeah, that's right, man. That's right. Um, Well, first things first, Brian, I know that you have extensive extensive college uh, coaching experience, Um, color commentator, again, for a couple of different teams. Uh, You do the all-access network, seen you on Heat Check College Basketball. It sounds like you you got your your hands in a bunch of different pots these days. And when we were on the radio last, the segments tend to be a little bit shorter on the live radio. But uh, give the listeners some background, man. You know what were you doing in basketball last couple of years? How'd you get in with the, the Wyoming program, and, and then we can kind of go from there to talk about the game. Yeah, thanks again for having me, and um, yeah, just kind of all been a wild ride to be honest. The pandemic, I think, has shifted a lot of people uh, in ways that maybe they didn't expect, and I'm no different on that. I, I coached college for almost 20 years. Uh, coached at six different Division ones in my time. Uh, Division two and JUCO as well, and uh, just kind of made a transition, a little bit of a family decision. Uh, my wife and I were seven different cities combined in my first, our first three years of marriage, so it kind of felt like it was time to just get a little more stable, at least for a second, to figure out you know exactly <laughs> yeah. where God was leading us. So uh, here we are, and we have three little ones, five, three, and one, and uh, we've been here in northern Colorado for two years now or almost three yeah three years now so uh, i've been out of college basketball for that amount of time since 2020 and it just kind of started with some zooms and hanging out uh, with coaches and trying to spotlight different coaches while i was still in it and then 
um, George Floyd stuff happened and kind of held some social justice roundtable, just kind of getting people talking and getting ready for, you know, how we were going to come out of that whole situation better from a basketball lens. And then, yeah, lo and behold, the season started and our school year started and kind of reached out to some buddies that were uh, in the media that were younger guys still in college or just graduated. Uh, Kevin Sweeney from Sports Illustrated being a close friend and yep. uh, Eli from uh, Heat Check. He had just founded Heat Check and uh, he covered the Mountain West when I was at Fresno and we got to be friends. So, yeah, just kind of started there and reached out to a couple other people and felt like there there was a space to create for almost the ESPN, if you will, for the non-high uh, majors and even the high major assistants that were going to be the next assistant coaches at different places and kind of started there and spotlighting different things, junior college, you name it. And uh, here we are two years later. And it, it kind of led to wanting to do some broadcasting. Uh, Wyoming was close. Uh, I reached out to everybody in the pandemic. They, the, most people weren't allowing more people in the gym just because of the, uh, you know, the whole COVID-19 and how that was going. And then yeah. the following year, I was able to get on with Northern Colorado, which is where the Wyoming staff used to be. Uh, they had ESPN plus and basically I just did it for free and said, Hey, I'll do it. Just let me get an opportunity. I want to have a chance to see if this is something I would like to do. And it led to, uh, probably about a semester last year, around this time last year, they reached out and had some availability in their schedule and were looking for more to add more staff for their, uh, yeah. And then I got on the women's side and then the guy was like, yeah, you can do the men's side. Next thing you know, I'm calling the Wyoming and, uh, Boise game last year, which was, essentially should have been probably a CBS game. Nobody expected Wyoming to be that good. Mm-hmm. Boise, both, both teams were tournament teams, and uh, now I'm back, and it's led to – I had 20 total games last year, have almost 50 this year. So just growing in the broadcasting space and uh, enjoying the ride. You got to get reps, man. You know that now, don't you? Yeah. You got to get yeah. reps. That's what everybody told me when I started radio, you know. And it's, it's so true. Um, when you start, you think like – Oh, I'm just, you know, I can get on. I could do it. You know, I got it. And and some people can. Some people have natural ability to an extent. Um, but you got to have reps behind a mic just to see what it's like. And I will tell you, as someone who records radio, typically in my own home or in some kind of radio studio, I do get kind of thrown off now when I, I'm somewhere live doing it um, or even you know, we, we do the live show or there's anything in front of me. We did a live show at like a pregame party a couple of years ago because when I'm in, when I'm in the house or recording podcasts, it's like, I'm very focused on what I'm doing. And I I think, you know, as well as anybody now, when you do color commentary or you're doing the play by play, there's a lot going on in the arena that you're trying to verbalize all at once. Um, was it, was it challenging to you to pick that up or, or did you kind of find that it was natural? You just kind of had to hone in on that ability. Yeah. I think that talking about the game and, uh, kind of just the flow of it was natural. I did radio first, which is a lot harder for a color commentator because the play by play guy has to paint the picture and yep. do so much talking. Uh, so that was a good lesson learned because it had to be really concise, which is completely different in podcasts or interviews that we do with all access. So. That was it. Felt natural though, to be honest. Uh, yeah. I think that part was was a was a great transition. The part that was new was you start learning the nuances of the craft and the skill, and then you have people talking in your ear. The bigger the bigger venues and the bigger games that you do, the more stuff goes on with the production. Some of the smaller places, 
they just don't have much of a production team. You're just doing the best you can to have a quality broadcast on air. But you yeah. just start learning more and more nuances. I think the, the reps always help you just like anything else, kind of your 10,000 hours, if you will. Um, but I think the, the comfort level that it gives you, and then you start not trying to just be what somebody else says or maybe what the technical aspect says you're supposed to do it this way. You just start finding your own voice and your own um, kind of approach. And it's so different than coaching. In coaching, you find the same. You've worked for a lot of different guys. You get a chance to be a head coach. You're trying to figure out what exactly are you going to take from this coach and that coach and make your own. And I think probably after that first year as a head coach, most guys are even more comfortable going into the next year. But uh, it takes a little while to kind of get those reps, just like parenting. I don't know if any of you out there have done that yet, but uh, it's a We got a lot of dads that listen to the show. I'm not a dad yet, but we do have a a lot of dads listen to the show, yes. Way different in the hot seat uh, as a parent (laughs) than what you thought it would be. You see other people parent, when you're not a parent, you're like, why did they let them do that? And why are you? And then you become a parent and it all changes. So it's it's very similar (laughs) to that. You just need to get those reps so you can get comfortable. Yeah, man. The best part of being a not parent is that you get to give them back when you're done uh, at the dinner party or, or what have you. Um, but you, you hit on a couple of different points, Brian, that like we've talked about on the show a lot because I, I like to draw the intersection of where sports and life and broadcasting, um, you know, kind of meet. And they do meet for a lot of us and a lot of obviously the personalities and people I have on the show, Kevin Sweeney included, um, have kind of had to make those decisions where they go, right? Like, where does yep. the basketball content making go from here? Do I try the play-by-play? Do I do broadcasting? Do I do journalism? Uh, do I do radio, right? And I, I've, I've seen two different things that you, you hit on both is that everybody's path is kind of unique and, and different. Um, it's hard to say that you could replicate any one person's path. Um, oh, even you know when I had guys like Scott Van Pelt on the program, he just kind of said, Hey, I got a chance. I got really lucky to do golf network and I just ran it from there, you know, and, and you're just kind of the same way, right? Like you can't replicate that path. You just, you, you capitalize on the opportunities that you're given. But then number two, the other thing is that basketball at some point, you have to make that distinction of where you're going to go, what you're going to prioritize, focus on. And, um, and you know, focusing on the family is obviously a, a decision. A lot of guys have to make because, uh, there's only so many nights you can sit in the film room, uh, you know, chopping it up, uh, uh, you know, watching film for that coming weekend or, or a game that has coming up. So uh, points that are all well taken, man. And, and like I said, we talk about it a lot here on the program because I try to outline for people how hard it is to uh, to make those decisions. And of course, you know, myself, not excluded from that. Uh, I made a decision a while ago to, to keep the independent podcast going in the direction that I had it. So um, with Brian Burton right now, we're going to preview the, the Wyoming game of Dayton that's coming up here on Saturday. So let's get into that, Brian, just real quick. Um, we talked about before we went on the show that it was really fate that Dayton and Wyoming were going to meet at, at the forefront in the preseason. It looked like we had like a top 40 matchup, one of the best games in the country coming up on Saturday night. Now it's the Spider-Man meme of us looking at each other in the mirror and it's the exact same thing that we see. It's you started with high expectations, suffered some injuries, have some uh, some losses, you know, had some downsides here to start the year, some bad losses. And now both, you know, Dayton and Wyoming are walking into this this game, Wyoming four and five. Um, 
in the division one. They had, I know, a, a tune-up game against a non-division one team, but four and five in the, in the games that count, Dayton six and five in their games. And it kind of looks like Dayton's the same team as Wyoming, right, with the injuries and, and setbacks. Yeah, definitely is not what either team thought coming out of last year and having an offseason and all of kind of the excitement. And even when they scheduled this game and knew this game was, you know, this is a tier one tournament implication game, you know, when you schedule yep. it back then. And now it's, you know, just a great competitive game to figure out how to play better as you go into conference play. Uh, so much different stakes so much. A lot of things have happened as far as injuries, like you mentioned. But I do think uh, I can't speak for Dayton, of course, but on Wyoming side, I think they're playing their best basketball by far all year long. They have, they've had so many injuries. Uh, obviously, the most significant to the preseason player of the year, Graham E.K., who hasn't played a game yet still. But they've had eight different players go out throughout the season and miss games. Um, and so what Coach Linder talks about a lot is it, it's not only affected their games, but just their practice time. So they haven't been able to kind of put things in place or get a system in place that they can feel comfortable with or uh, even reps to be able to put lineups together. So I think they've, uh, to talking to him even after the game, uh, they've won back-to-back games. They just had a significant win against Louisiana Tech, uh, who came in 6-2. and two. Um, No significant wins for North Tech, but a good win considering they lost to Southeast Louisiana earlier in the year. Uh, La Tech is significantly, you know, more talented, regarded team coming in. And so big win for them and the fact that they did it in a dominant fashion. And I think that coach has gotten to a rotation that is pretty much made up of majority of his returners that have been in the program. There's one newcomer. uh, I think he's kind of drawn a little bit of a line in the sand of like, I'm sticking with these eight guys and we're going to get some chemistry and get some cohesion and we're going to figure out how to play and they've also had uh you know one particular player Noah Reynolds has stepped up tremendously he's had 75 points in the last three games he's averaging 25 uh, a game in those three games he's played in uh missed one game in the middle of that uh, Grand Canyon game but um he just was named Mountain West player of the week and he's kind of taken on the role that Hunter Maldonado took last year he actually comes off the bench but he takes on the primary ball handler role, uh, shoots it much better from three, shoots it 41% from three, and has been able to do a lot of his damage in the paint. So he's he's been the biggest surprise of the season, uh, along with having a first-teamer back in Maldonado, whose role is just different. He's more of the versatile guy he was earlier in his career that averages 14, 5, and 5 kind of guy, um, instead of kind of that 20-point, almost 10 assists guy he was last year, which that that method got him where they wanted to go. But to get him over the hump, they need more ball handlers than they have that now. Yeah, yeah, no, we, we get that. With our, our point guard, Malachi Smith, being injured, uh, that one hits home to Dayton as well. You know, when I was looking at the scouting report for Wyoming going into this game this week, um, a couple of things jumped off the page. Number one, that they, they run a slower tempo offense like Dayton. But the one thing that they don't do like Dayton is that they shoot a lot of threes and, and they're fairly effective at it. Um, 34% on the season is above national average, which means, you know, they're above mediocre, of course. But it seems to me, Brian, that the, uh, the game plan here for Wyoming is to slow the pace down, but ultimately they're looking for a three-point shot. Is that kind of the style that 
they set out to play or is that the style they've been forced to play with injuries and and like you said the roster kind of going a different direction than they thought yeah it's it's actually more the latter uh, with with you know I don't know how much listeners know about Graham Ike but he was probably number one number two all year long that probably he was number one number two number three in usage last year and all of his damage comes inside the arc so between him and then Maldonado last year also kind of did a lot of dribble down Barkley post-ups they dominated kind of inside the arc to play inside out very intentionally where now they don't have that inside presence the same way they do still use Maldonado there on occasion uh, to be able to get some things closer to the basket but uh, it's now predicated a lot more on ball movement um they, they've done a tremendous job with their assist the last couple of couple of games few games to be able to you know just get more ball movement player movement and almost make it a lot harder for you to key in on one particular guy although their uh, half court pace is you know slowing the game down and playing kind of in that control setting they still uh they're moving the ball very well and they're kind of allowing their guys to be more effective to either catch and shoot from three or drive a closeout to maybe dish to the next guy for the same. So, and some of it has been, you know, to their, to their, to the flip side of that, some of it has been the last three of the last few opponents have played kind of this particular style of defense that they've attacked in that way, which they feel like is the best way to attack kind of that Texas tech, keep you on the side of the floor kind of Mm -hmm. defense a few of these teams have played, but I do think that's going to be a big part of their uh, formula going forward because they just don't have the inside presence that can kind of beat you up like they did last year. Sure. And that's going to be the most interesting part of the game, which is why I brought it up first. Um, you know, Dayton can't shoot threes worth a lick and their, their game plan is to go inside, you know, it, Kamara and Holmes, they want to bang down low. They usually have mismatched mismatches. Sorry because Deron Holmes is, is such a big body and he gets a lot of easy buckets down low. Um, so it will kind of be a matching of wills here. Like does the three point shooting went out or is Dayton able to neutralize it enough and, and get the looks that they want down low to, uh, to swing the tide in their favor, you know, defensively, Brian kind of changing the lens a little bit. Uh, I noticed again, first and foremost that Wyoming shoots the ball very well offensively, but now that we're 10 games in, it's not really a sample set anymore. It's a third of the season to say opponents are shooting the ball pretty well on Wyoming as well. 35% from three, 52% from two point range, um, good enough for their effective field goal percentage of, of 52. And that's basically bottom 100 in the country. The one number I, I had to laugh at because we always say it's called free throw defense. But for whatever reason, I don't know if you knew this stat or not. Uh, teams at the line are shooting 80% against Wyoming, and there's only four teams <laughs> four teams that have opponents that are shooting better from the free throw line. So we can chalk that up to a bit of bad luck. But on the defensive side, it doesn't really feel like things are going well, aside from the fact that Wyoming can limit second-chance points. What do you chalk that up to? You know, Why have they struggled defensively this year and given up a lot of points in some matchups? Yeah, I think you know, 100% goes back to just you know that lineup thing of, not being able to have people, it, it hurts you more defensively than it does offensively. Is what yeah, I agree. Would, would say, you know, just not having guys in sync, not having timing, not understanding rotations, not kind of getting a, in a flow on the defensive end. And uh, they haven't been as gritty uh, prior to the last few games, couple games, uh, as he would like them to play. And 
I think they've been able to kind of shore that up with, you know, when you're, when you're playing a style defensively that's not very physical, that doesn't put much toll on you, when guys do go to the line, they feel very comfortable. So I think that's a lot of what that 80% kind of goes. There's not a lot of resistance prior to uh, the last couple of games. But I do think that's a good point. they're starting to get better uh, on that end. They held La Tech to 65. Granted, it's at home, but, I mean, they had been giving up a significant amount more than that. They only got to the line 12 times, uh, was able to turn them over 11 times. So, you know, just did a better job overall. Defended the three a little bit better, although they – it took them 27 attempts to get to 37%. Um, I think they're I think they're starting to get in a better rhythm. Uh, they're not a shot blocking team. They don't have that presence at the rim anymore. Um, so now taking charges has become a bigger thing, and just having the personnel out there that will take those charges uh, I think has a lot to do with it as well. So I think they're starting to, again. I think you'll see a little bit of a different team. Uh, again, they got to the line 23 times, but I think also kind of takes a toll when a team is physical enough to get there that many times. And yep. uh, again, I just go back to kind of their defense leading to their offense. They had 20 assists and only five turnovers. So I think if they can stay in that kind of a range, maybe not 20 assists, but 15 or more and limit their turnovers, they feel like they can uh, control the pace a lot better offensively. And then now you're not giving up so much defensively where you're giving these kind of turnovers that lead to baskets and runouts. So I think they're a much more solid team now, a much more sound team now, because again, you look at a guy like Kenny Foster, who not overly impressive stats last year, the year before he was a starter, had injuries after injury last year and just kind of went through a year where people didn't know if he'd even play again. And he's not the most talented guy on this roster, but he's just their heart and soul, kind of their glue guy. He's their intangible guy uh, and he's scored in double figures the last couple games from offensive rebounds transition points uh, an occasional three uh, a drive of a closeout so they do have some grittier players that are now uh, kind of in the lineup that are embracing kind of playing that role because you know when you when you acquire a lot of talent in the offseason and you get these kind of higher level transfers sometimes them fitting into a role doesn't exactly fit the way you would hope so I think yeah. they're Finally starting to get some role delineations. I think it's helping them quite a bit, and, and guys are settling into those roles. And like I said, I think they are playing – they are definitely playing their best basketball. Where it goes from here is to be determined. But I think their stats don't necessarily indicate the team you'll see in Dayton. Well, yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be a, a true clash of styles, um, you know, and whether, you know, one team, I think – changes their game plan will probably dictate where this game goes. Real interesting neutral clash. Uh, Wyoming also with two games left to go in the non-conference before taking on Fresno State to open up Mountain West play for Flyer fans out there. Wrapping up with Brian Burton, color commentator for Wyoming Cowboys. Brian, true pleasure to have you on the show. Before we get to the break, uh, I wanted to ask you for a quick prediction. How does Wyoming come away with this one? And what's your God's honest prediction for Saturday at the United Center? Yeah, I think Wyoming will find a way to get the win, uh, taking my bias aside, too, and just kind of getting familiar with this team. That's all we uh, ask for. No bias. Yeah. Just what do you I think? think you know, I think, they're, uh, I think they're playing their best ball. I think they've kind of found a little bit of a groove. I think their combination of uh, – they're not great necessarily at any of them. They excel the three the most. But uh, 14 threes in the last game, getting to the line 23 times and still 30 points in the paint. Uh, and you look at their assists, they assisted 20 times on 29 shots. So 
I think those kind of formulas on the offensive end dictate that they will be able to do a little bit of that formula. They won't just stick to one, and I think they'll take care of the ball and be able to defend just enough uh, and just be the more together team. I think that's the one part that Coach Linder really talked about even at shoot-around for last game is just it's not about the name uh, on the back of the jersey. It's literally just about how connected we are and how much we're going to fight together. And I think that's the part that they've bought into. And so I think that fight carries them on the road and they find a way to get a win. You heard it right there. Brian Burton, color commentator for the Wyoming Cowboys. Brian, thanks again for joining us, man. Hopefully we get to do it soon, maybe down the road sometimes. But thanks for coming on, man. It was a pleasure. Yeah, Yeah, happy holidays to everyone out there. Be safe. You heard him. Be safe. We'll be right back. Quick break, and then we're going to bring the show all the way home. You're listening to Talking Out Loud on 1410 ESPN Radio in Dayton and the podcast feed. And welcome back. Talking Out Loud, 1410 ESPN Radio, podcast feed. I'm your boy, Sully. We're still talking Dayton Flyers hoops. Coming all the way around for the last part of the hour. Thanks for sticking with us. It has uh, it has been an enlightening hour with Brian Burton uh, there giving you some insight into Wyoming. Uh, truly an interesting matchup we have uh, coming up on Saturday with Wyoming's preference to shoot the three. They like slowing the ball down. Dayton also likes to slow the ball down, but their preference is obviously to go inside. Um, so I would say take the under. Speaking of unders and betting lines, the Flyers are right now to this day four and seven against the spread. So history tells us to this point that they are not going to cover in one direction or the other. Looks like the early spread on this game is going to be about three or four points in favor of the Flyers. So just take that with a grain of salt. Facts only. They're four and seven against the spread. Finishing up tonight, uh, since we talked about on the top of the show uh, that the conference ahead, the slate ahead of game, the games ahead for Dayton uh, are not that great. I wanted to highlight to you how not great they are. So I uh, took a look through historically uh, what the A-10 has done at this point in the season. And before I get into this and you have, a, you know, visions of grandeur that how this season is going to end for the Dayton Flyers. I want to just break this news to you that there has never been a Dayton Flyers team, 18 appearances in the NCAA tournament. Not one of them has lost five games before the calendar year flipped to January. Not one of them. Okay. I took a look back through. This is your trivia for the night because I do not have a co-host with me that the latest losses in the season, the fifth uh, sorry, fifth loss. The latest it has come in the season, and Dayton has still made the tournament, was January 11th. For both of these instances, 1984 and 1990, the Flyers went 12-5 and five in 1984, of course, made the NCAA tournament and then the Elite Eight. 1990, their fifth loss also uh, was on January 11th. They would go 11-4 and four down the stretch, and then uh, they would win that one tournament game in uh, the 1990 tournament. In the last 15 years, the latest Dayton was able to lose their fifth game and still get in was January 18th of 2014, and we all know how that season ended. Another fun fact to hit you with, because that's what I'm doing at this portion of the program, the last A-10 team to advance to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament was, in fact, those same Dayton Flyers in 2014 that went to the Elite Eight. 
Shifting the focus back to telling you how mediocre the A-10 has been, and that is what I am here to do in previous years, 17-18, going back as far as the 2018 season is where I will start. The conference lost somewhere between 22, let's just go down the list here, okay? Q3 and Q4 losses in the totality. In the 2018 season, there were 31, next season, 33, the season after that, 22, in the 2022 season, rather, there were 33 of the quad three and quad four losses, much like 2019. This year, to date, there have been 34. The conference right now is 87 and 61. And the real big problem with that 87 and 61 mark is that 26 of those wins, 26 out of the 87 I'm talking about, are from Fordham, Duquesne, and UMass. And although the net, it is early on and the net is slightly flawed, the highest rated net team right now, as of the day of this recording, is UMass at 86. The Billikens are 87. The Fordham Rams, 99. And so the conference as a whole, to date, has taken 14 losses in the quad four. 14, okay? The only teams in the conference right now that have neither a Q3 or Q4 loss, okay? They're undefeated in the Q3 and Q4. The only teams are St. Louis and Fordham. Yes, all 13 of the rest of the teams in the A-10 have taken either a Q3 or Q4 loss because, again, I mentioned at the top of the show that BYU is a Q3 loss right now. If you look... Four teams that have three losses or less. There are only four of them right now. Duquesne, Davidson, Fordham, and UMass. You're seeing a trend. The two teams with the best record in the conference right now are friggin' Fordham and UMass. Fordham hasn't played anybody. Their schedule is is just deplorable. It's even hard to look at for my eyes. But they're 11-1. UMass, 8-2. So again, every other team has at least... Four losses or more. Again, the Dukes, the Wildcats, the Billikins, sorry, the Rams of Fordham, and Massachusetts, the only teams that have three losses or less in conference play. So when you look down the schedule for the Dayton Flyers, and again, this is why we we have kind of gone doom and gloom with telling you that there aren't a lot of opportunities left. The only games left on the schedule right now to date that are Q2 or above is at Fordham, at UMass, and at St. Louis. It's mind-blowing to even say that at Fordham is a Q2 game, but that's where we are right now. I don't think Fordham's any good. I don't think that they're a team that anybody has to worry about per se, but considering Dayton lost the last time we went to Fordham and they are right now a top 100 team in the net, you got to respect them until you don't. And I will, of course, heed you to not respect them until they beat someone that is respectable. But the facts are the facts. And you gotta accept them. So that's where we are. Uh, we're going to do a game against Wyoming. There was a lot of shine, a lot of polish on this game. People really liked the way that it looked uh, preseason. This was supposed to be a marquee matchup. One of the best uh, that the non-power conferences had to offer in the early season. And unfortunately, that's all been blown to smithereens. Wyoming 5 and 5 coming into this game, Dayton 6 and 5, a lot of the luster off of this game and so unfortunately what it has turned into is a game that both teams desperately need 
to get back on track. Um, EK, the, the player that is out for Wyoming, is their best player. Of course, Kobe Elvis, Malachi Smith, not suiting up for the Flyers, two of their best players. So still more shine to come off this matchup, but it is truly the Spider-Man meme. Both teams have struggled well below preseason expectations, and both will be looking for a bounce back win in a building Dayton still has yet to win in. I'll be there watching it. I won't be there watching it, but I'll be watching it on my couch, and and maybe you will be there in Chicago watching it, Uh, but wherever you are, Please do two things for me as we close you out tonight. This is Talking Out Loud, where we're always going to implore you to do these two things. They are wear red and be loud, and we will catch you next week.